That's Bruce. Oh, it's in. Woods couldn't do it that time. Had Manchester United got it in them to find another goal here. Alistair stretching his legs. Crossing came off Worthington. Bruce, yes! Yes for Manchester United! And Alex Ferguson can't contain himself. And that's totally understandable. It's been a phenomenal finish. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans, joined by Maisie and Sam. Maisie's having How a little yawn there. A little, yeah, you tired yeah. today? Yeah, well, long day. Long day today. Oh, long day. I imagine this is going to be one of your favourite ones ever, just because of where we are. Uh, the May Hotel. Um, well, it's because it's a golf course. It's not a bad golf course. No, it's not one of my favourites. It's decent. But yeah, <laughs> nice venue. For our guests. Nice venue. Uh, what have we all been up to? Uh, I was in Norway last weekend with Boiler. And you're going to Norway again? I am, to see my friend Thomas, yes. Should be nice. Were you at a fan club last week? Uh, it was, yeah. Halden, it was called. Nice little historic, right on the border of Sweden and Norway. Oh, that's right. So I nipped over the border, got a lot of nice Swedish chocolate. And I was just going to say how you were Beautiful. Not my flight, sorry, I'd have brought it in, but yeah, I've loved no, it Thanks all. for that. Yeah, no worries. Sam, have you been good? Yeah, it's very good, yeah. Just lots of good. football, isn't there? So I've been watching lots of football. It's been nice. Yeah. Good. How about you? I've been fine, thank you. Where have yes. you been? You got I've, a little bit of a, a, a fake tan there. Where well, have you been? It's a real tan. Is it? I've been on holiday for Easter holidays with the Kitty Winkles. That sounds Anywhere nice. Mm -hmm. Went to Dubai. You, you might as well become a resident there. You're always there. <laughs> Just flying nice, back for the podcast. You. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fly me in and out, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, all good. I'm excited for today's podcast. Yeah, me too. Um, obviously, you um, two know Steve very well. I don't know him so well, but I worked with Alex Bruce. For those, that's his son. For people who aren't aware, he was a pundit last week as we did one of the games. And he gave me a lot of stories about his dad. Are Bruce they broadcastable? Class. Some of them. Okay. Others are just fun that he just wanted to share. I look forward to hearing them. Mm -hmm. Good Great memories. Great I love Bruce. Oh, what a guy. Absolute. Talk about people who've played for the club and become legends of the club. Brucey, legends of football? Brucey is one of them. I tell you. What a player. What a player and what a man. He's one of Different those class. people who you get to know and kind of forget the resume. And you look at all the games, clubs, everything played, managed, a bit like Dennis Irwin, because he's such a down to earth, good person. Great and you lad. think, wow, what you've achieved. And you're still a really nice person. Goes a long way, doesn't it, Maisie? Yeah, there's not many of us about. So, uh, no. <laughs> I had a look at your resume too. By the way, I've never used that word in my life. I have no idea why I said it. <laughs> Very official. Yeah, I think you're posh. Very American. <laughs> yeah, but just like, just relentless, hasn't he? Like in terms of his playing career and then as a manager, just he just doesn't stop. I think it's about 46 years, isn't it? Total, something like that. That's uh, some record of non-stop player management. A hell of an achievement. Steve Bruce, welcome to United Podcast. Good afternoon. I'm going to start immediately with where we are. We're at the Mere Golf Course, Golf Club. Mm. Somewhere you play a lot, somewhere you enjoy to spend your time. I've, I've played a few times here. I wouldn't say I play a lot, but I have to be brutally honest and say it's quite convenient to where I live, which always <laughs> helps, of course. Yeah. But um, oh, it's a nice setting. And uh, But I think Sir Alex has his golf day here. End of May, June, is it? Yeah. Something, Something like that. Like yeah. that yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you played here a few times? Picked up a few uh, medals up here, trophies, oh, you know. Huh? Yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of uh, nearest of pins and stuff. The uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, whatever I win just goes back into my golf day, so. Did you two ever play golf together when you were playing football? Don't think so. It was that long ago. That long ago, and it would be very difficult to remember, <laughs> I have to tell you. Was there a culture there where people went to training and play golf after? Because I know that's very much part of the culture now, isn't it? Don't think it was a strong culture. Yeah. I have to say there was a few who played. And there are a few who didn't, um, but there's no doubt we used to all enjoy a game, but I wouldn't say it was a culture where no. we played repeatedly, mm -hmm. regularly, especially in the middle of winter, you wouldn't. And I have to be brutally honest, Sir Alex wouldn't let us play at certain no. times. You know, he thought it was too strenuous. I know you two uh, were friends, obviously, when you were playing as well, because... Obviously, Steve, you know Maisie and you know Helen. So to get a bit of extra research, last Thursday I was with Alex. Uh -huh. So occasionally I might ask you questions and you'll think, how does he know anything about that? And it's because Alex told me and prepped me 
to I was going to say because I need reminded to go because it's yeah. 30 years ago isn't it? <laughs> but one uh, it's a long time that stuff will all be edited out of course, <laughs> of course. all the stuff that Alex told no, he let me yeah. know what could and couldn't go in but one story he told me was one after a Christmas party when he was a kid he opened um, a door to a room at your house and one of your teammates was laying asleep naked in that room and that was David May what <laughs> That look could be. <laughs> That's what captains do. They'll look after the young pups. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we went out. And you'd, you did. did you stay at my house or something? I did. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. I remember you driving me in the next day. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I think Alex was a bit astonished that some stranger was in his bed <laughs> next to him. <laughs> no, it'd have to be him, of course. A long time ago. I don't ago. know where to go from there. So. Well, I think the sensible thing to do is let's go back to the very beginning and tell us all about your early life. Growing up, life yeah, growing for, up. Yeah, for you, what life was growing up? You had two older brothers. Well, of course, right? I was. Um, I was I was born and bred in Newcastle and um, and went to the famous Walls End Boys Club very very quickly and very very early. So all my early years, from the time I was eight or nine or ten, it was always kind of how quickly can I get to the boys club, you know? And back in the day, you know, Peter Bladesley was in the same team. Rob Highmarsh was in the same team who went on to Captain Sunderland at the age of nineteen. I think we played in, together for something like four or five years. We're beaten twice maybe in the four or five years um, so growing up that was all really the boys club and um, looking back on it now it's it, it didn't really save me or anything I think that would be wrong but certainly helped that every spare minute of my day was as soon as I finished school I was I was straight there to have a game of five a side or play table tennis or have a bag of chips they have produced some incredible players there as well. And, you, and, and Helen, you had to be in a radius of five miles. Oh, wow. So when you think of the people who've come through and who people who've played for it, and, he, and even now, and even now, there's, it, it's still going on. The actual boys club is, is not quite there, but the boys club still runs. It's, you know, they still have many teams and still keep producing player after player. Mm-hmm. Not as many because the academies is took over. So you can imagine any good kid now in the northeast, you're going to be snapped up by Middlesbrough, Sunderland, or, or, or Newcastle. The most obvious one I'm thinking of is Michael Carrick mm-hmm. was there, wasn't he? Yeah, he's the latest one, Michael. Yeah, what, how old's Michael? Forty three? Is he forty two? Forty three? Like yeah. So yeah, he's yeah, he's, yeah, I'm twenty years older than him, which is quite remarkable. That but has produced some players. Do you think you were a product of your environment in that Newcastle is a huge football city and it's very much the culture? Well, even, even now, even now, you know, the East End of London has become the hotbed of where the footballers are at the minute. Maybe that because it's a tough environment where maybe it's a way out, you know, and the, the one thing that you can, and with the game of football, it was, is this the way I wanted to be? And after going down the shipyards when I was 15, I only lasted a month thinking there's no way I can work in here, so I better pull my finger out and see if I can get this football lock up and running. If not football, what would you have done? I'd have been a plumber down the shipyards. I'd just started and and I got a trial. I was released by everybody until I was 15, 16 and went to Gillingham, which you couldn't get farther away from Newcastle. And um, and I managed to earn an apprenticeship there. How did that apprenticeships come about, there. How'd that come about? Uh, Pete Kirkley, who ran the boys' club at the time, kept sending me to... He was basically affiliated with Burnley. There was a big association with Burnley back in the day. And Peter Kirkley was, kept sending me to everywhere, really. And I think Gillingham was probably... And would you believe, myself and Peter Beardsley got on the same train because only the two out of us weren't snapped up. Everybody else was going off to play football in the team. You know, people going to Sunderland and Bolton and Sheffield and Burnley. And um, I mean, Peter, and they kept me and released Peter. Peter then went on to Cambridge, which was in Division 4 back in the day. And they really let Peter go as well. Out of your team, out of your group, how many actually made it then? Into professionally? You said <laughs> oh, there, was a, there was a few, but... Probably the most successful was Peter and myself and, yeah. as I said, Rob Haymosh. And yet you two got released. And we were the ones released and <laughs> scraping around. In terms of being homesick, obviously, back up in the north was your girlfriend, who is now your wife. Yeah. And you had a plan to stay in touch that involved phone boxes, right? Oh, you're not going into that one, are you? Alex told me it was good to be told. It was good to be told. Well, back in the day, we didn't have mobile phones, of course. 
and I didn't have much money either being an apprentice at Gillingham and uh, we came up with this idea that I would ring Jan at six o'clock. We thought of an idea where I would reverse the charges so she'd be waiting in the phone box <laughs> and I reversed the charges as you could do back in the day to a phone box. So I, uh, we did this for a good couple of years and still until the, uh, until the police got involved and come and nick me. And uh, yeah, the police got involved. In fact, I had to go to court when I was 19 to pay a grand sum of, I don't know, 300 quid fine or whatever it was back in the day. You were phoning from a phone box to a phone box? Yeah. And reversing the charges and you just got away with that? That's brilliant. Yeah, I back did in the, not have back you in the day, it's quite clever, really. I don't, know how I, come that? Up with it. I don't know how I come up with it. But back in the day, the phone boxes used to have an X at yeah. the end of the number. So you just left the X away. So Jan would pick up the phone and, uh, but the day we got caught, I'd just been sent off against Swindon. So I says, I've had a bad time, John. And I could hear all these sirens in the background thinking, something's happened around here, John. I don't know what's gone on, but they all ascended onto the, um, the phone box. Before I knew it, I was nicked. You was actually in the phone box when they got nicked? Yeah, yeah. That's I brilliant. says, John, you're going to run. That's even better. Yeah, yeah. But they, am I, so when they came to the phone box, and the reason they were interested in your calls originally wasn't because you were reversing the cause, was it? They, were, they thought maybe... They thought that maybe at the time, of course, was, was uh, the Yorkshire Ripper and the thought that they were listening to all these phones with Geordie accents and all the rest of it. And I think that alerted them. But to be honest, we did it for something like two and a half to three years and the bill was enormous to this phone box. So they must have... <laughs> they must have... Uh, twigged it eventually well they did twig it and of course anyway the police nicked me so I remember being in the police cell thinking dear me what have I done that's Love an that. incredible story can't believe I've never heard that that's brilliant Love's Young Dream that's what I, it was I was very very fortunate I grew up with Jan and you went to the same school same school known her since she was a kid and and uh, hey, been together we're 40 years married. Steve, it was just interesting. You just said a few minutes ago that you left Newcastle 15, 16, and you only returned there when you went to manage Newcastle. And I think people listening or watching, that is the reality of a footballer, a football manager. You didn't yeah. return home. And lots of people choose not to re return home. Yeah, yeah. But for you, from that moment on, it was just city to city to city, house to to house to house. Yeah, I think I think I was very very lucky as a player. I was seven years at Gillingham where I started. I was three and a half years at Norwich, and I was nearly ten at Manchester. So the vast majority of me um, playing career was taken up here, and that's why we still live round here. We have where children grew up here. I went to live in the Midlands for uh, the best part of eighteen years, but when the children stayed here and had grandchildren we thought four or five years ago this is going to be because the kids are here so um we've made nutsford we're, we're home i can't remember how many houses gordon strachan said he had lived in it's like 40 or something wasn't it oh i've got to give up after about 25 28 30 yeah. maybe somewhere like that is it is it right you nearly got i'm back still in a rented house now <laughs> it's ridiculous listen the dreams nearly there <laughs> well i'm not too sure about that but we're still in a rented house now is it right you later. nearly got back to Newcastle when you were at Gillian? Was Arthur Cox was interested, but then yeah. left his job? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he went back as a player. And I remember meeting Willie McFall also through the recommendations of Peter. Peter was then back there, P Peter Beardsley. But it never, it never quite happened. It never, it never happened. And I went to, I went to Norwich instead. What, how was that? Norwich was great for me because I had seven years at Gillingham. So... 230 times I played for them in Division 3, which after a certain amount of time, you think, hang on a minute here, yeah. is me time up? Is this me? This is... And then all of a sudden I get a... I left me contract, which back in the day, wasn't, there was no such thing as a... You went to free then, there wasn't a Bosman rule. So you, you were judged by a tribunal. So you're always taking a risk, really, that clubs would go to this tribunal and had to pay the fee that was paid. So... I left my contract and thought, well, we'll see what happens. And Norwich was the one where I picked above Coventry and QPR. I picked Norwich simply because Dave Watson, the old Everton centre-half, was the centre-half at the time. 
who just got into the England scene and Chris Woods was just bursting into the England scene too. So that was where we went. And the first minute of your debut? Oh dear me, you have been doing your research. So we've got Liverpool at home, first game of the season, debut. Must have been 30 degrees as well, red hot. The kickoff and uh, they went down the right-hand side and I think it was one of the great Liverpool team of the 80s crossed it and thought, oh, I can head that and try to get to it headed straight in the top corner. After after a minute, as you can imagine now, thinking, dear me, after 20 minutes, Daglish turned Dave Watson with his famous one where he brings it back inside. And I read that a little bit and he's bending at the top corner. And I thought I could head that and I headed that one in and all. <laughs> so I'd got two on goals after 22 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was still more to come. We um, we got back in the game and uh, eventually equalised through Keith Burchin, who become a big friend of mine. And when he celebrated, when he celebrated a goal, he was run round the stadium. So as he's run round the stadium, it was, took me a long time to get there. And you know the way the players are on the huddle. I decided like a mug to jump on top of it. And uh, just as I jumped on top of it, he was coming the other way, and I and I clashed. I headbutted him really and knocked him spark out right <laughs> he was carried off on a stretcher no more we had to play the last 15 minutes at least it didn't go we in we had to play the last 15 minutes with 10 men <clears throat> so it was quite an eventful debut I have to say but we drew with the mighty Liverpool three each which uh, brilliant whistling around the stadium what the hell have we got here Despite thankfully the next three years were yeah. a lot more successful there Maisie have you ever scored two young goals in a game no and not knocked someone out not my debut anyway no certainly not that's brilliant it's out there somewhere you can find <laughs> them Maisie somewhere <laughs> do you think because obviously you're still working in football still managing top level football do you think the game has changed so much that you wouldn't have players playing 200 games in one division moving up that drastically or do you think well, that I should think, happen more I think it it happens, but it, ha it doesn't happen so much. We, we seem to ignore the lower division players. And uh, um, even me, I was at, um, in the, the last job I had at West, at West Brom, we took in, I bought the kid Asante from Salford. Big move for him. I mean, it was wonderful to watch that he'd come through the ranks and been released as a kid, made it at Salford, and I bought him for 300 grand. And, and even now when I've left, you know, he is now the big talking point. They all enjoy watching him for his sheer enthusiasm, how he goes about the job. So they are there. They are there. You've just, it's a little bit more rare though, but you do, you do find them, you know. We, we used to scour, at, you know, at clubs I've had. Of, can we find somebody? Andy Robertson, we took from Dundee United, you know, and a few of them, so... They are there. You've just got to keep looking. But when you're playing, it's are you going to get the break? Yeah. Are you really going to get the break that you hope is going to come your way? Because everybody needs a break. I'm sure you feel quite strongly about that as well, because your career was, you said it yourself, you know, it took someone to believe in you, but it might have nearly yeah, not yeah. happened. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was, you know, start with at Gillingham without... Bill Collins and without his influence on me as yeah. a kid then I don't think Oda Medi got through it there was a time one summer when I thought do I really want to go back here I wanted I was back in Newcastle with me mates and yeah. and all the rest of it and I've got to go back and you know and he looked after me he was like so I would never be able to thank him enough and then of course you need when you get that break you need to then be in the in the in the, in the first division as it was then not the Premier League was now I've got my chance now, how am I going to take it? Of course, nothing takes you from the step to from Norwich to Man U. Man U was the, the biggest one of all. But I was determined after the 10 years I'd had, was I've got to try and enjoy this. This has got to be the, the ultimate. i never forget the first time walking into the dressing room with Whiteside and McGrath and Robson and Strachan and Olsen and these people thinking, I've only just seen these on the telly before, you know. Now I'm trying to kick a ball with them. And I remember watching Paul McGrath thinking, am I really going to take over from him? God, what a player he is, you know. And uh, But I was determined to make sure that I was going to give it my best shot. How did that move come about from Norwich to United? 
Out of the blue? I think Mel Machin out of... Mel Machin, um, who was managing Man City, managed me, was the assistant at Norwich. And I think he'd had a quiet word with Sir Alex to say, look, I think Sir Alex had phoned him about me. <sighs> There's many stories I've heard, Maisie, yeah. I don't really yeah. know, but once he comes on the phone... And uh, it, it dragged on a bit. It dragged on a bit till nearly the Christmas of 87. And then I didn't know, but the chairman of Norwich had done a deal privately with Chelsea. And I was determined I wasn't going there. And Tottenham. Why would you not go there? Well, it wasn't Chelsea back in the day that it was right. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once Man U, I heard Man U, yeah. Maisie, Man U were in. That was it. That was it. That was it, yeah. I wasn't going anywhere else. So you walk into the dressing room, you see those I superstars. I walk around in the dressing room and I look at this lot and think, oh my God. And then to go and play and then go out training with them, it was an eye-opener because just of the sheer quality and the determination that some of them had, you know, it was yeah. just like top, top players, top players. And... Um, what was yeah. the difference from the Norwich to the United, though? As well, in, in Norwich just the quality a, of player? Norwich, or? we had a... Norwich, we had a good side, but these were... Nobody ever understands, and you've been through it, Maisie. Nobody ever understands that when you walk through the door, man, you, it's like no other. And I've said that to everybody I've ever come across, mm -hmm. that the demand on you, straight away you feel it, you see it, whether you're playing Grimsby or whether you're playing Barcelona. Yeah. They want to beat you. And that intensity and the size of it and the enormity of it, Enormous. I had the exactly the same feelings walking into that dressing room when I when I signed and I'm thinking, Jesus, this is this is incredible. Yeah, yeah. You, the way you, they played, the intensity, everything. the determination to win, yeah. all of that. Big club, big attitude. Did it worry you? Did it worry me? And uh, um, look, I came in and I, I went into the team and we weren't great to start with, I have yeah. to tell you. You know, it took a few years, took a few years, but... I played every week mm. and he picked me every week. Yeah. Straight so, away as well, that when you initially signed, I think you played 21 out of 22 games, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I signed at the Christmas. So yeah. I think I missed one game, I think. And I played regularly, Maisie, and uh, and, and that helped, of course. Yeah. And I think the following summer, Paul McGrath was sold to Aston Villa, I think, mm. I believe at the time. So uh, it was a couple of years, I was there a couple of years before Big Bally arrived, you know? Yeah. And, uh, what was, what was it like when, when Pally arrived? Did that feel like something changed for you as a centre-back? Well, I, I think I've been asked the question, when, what changed? I think what helped us enormously was we barely missed a game for five years. I think we missed five games between us in five, six years. So every week we play together, which helps enormously. If, you, if you're playing alongside somebody, you know what they're up to and what they're like and what they are. And of course, it helped that we, we knew each other and we... We got on really well out of the game too. You know, we were we were good mates. I saw him last week and I said we were having this chat and he said, oh, one thing, don't tell him I told you. What do you think it was? One thing. Something, something he said you're scared of. The dark? He said you're scared yeah. of the dark. Yeah, I don't like the dark. Are you scared of the dark? Yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not scared of it, but, <laughs> but I, don't don't like, like it. I don't like enclosed or I don't like... No. It's that what I dislike. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, that hemmed-in feeling. I don't mind the dark, as long as I can see something. Did that, when you were, uh, when you... Cause but Polly didn't let that slip, you see, but there you go. When you, when you roomed together and stuff, or with anybody, did you, did you find a system well, you, to, to make sure you... To be fair, you, you roomed, everybody roomed with each other then, mm -hmm. and, and I didn't really room with Polly for a long, long time. I roomed with Brian Robson for mm -hmm. years, but he could, like, he could, he could go to bed on a Friday at nine o'clock, for example, and still be asleep the next morning at nine o'clock. He could do 12 hours where I was lucky if I did six or seven, you know? So in that respect, I think that's why your own room makes sense yeah. because yeah. people have different sleeping habits, snoring and all the rest of it. I had 18 months with Pally, it was a nightmare. <laughs> How was your relationship with Sir Alex from when you first turned up, was he as you expected? And then as the years went on, did it change? Did it change? Um, well, listen, I would be ex always grateful to him for giving me the opportunity and signing me. And obviously to, to be then made captain when Brian left, then I completely had his trust and his faith. That, But I remember, and I haven't revealed this many times, I remember getting a phone call from him to say, can I come round and see you? 
that's a bit strange. He said, I'm in the area. And I lived in Bramall and he was in Wim um, Wimslow, which is quite a way. He says, I'm in the area. Didn't think he was. He says, uh, can I come and see you? I says, uh, yeah, of course. He says, I'll be at your house in 20 minutes. Of course, blimey heck, what's, what's going on what here? What have you done? So I says to Janet, I says, Jan, the gaffer's coming. So um, we only two little ones at the time. Right enough, 20 minutes, up he pulls. And of course, we get the best cups and saucers out and the cup of tea. He comes down and sits down, has a little look around and sort of, not examines the place, but was checking, was checking over that we were okay. And then out of the blue, after the cup of tea, he says, um, I want you to be the, I want you to be the new captain of Man United. How do you feel? He says, how do I feel? <laughs> Absolutely delighted. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And I'll be went. I thought, why didn't he wait till the next morning? They pulled me in his office to tell me. Or was he checking where I was living, where I was up How to? How tidy your and house was. was. Uh, and was the standards? <laughs> and was was the standards? And I believe to this day, he did. He came round to say, I'm going to have a look at the way this fella lives and the way his family lives before I give them the captaincy. Now, I've never asked the question of really why. I didn't, but that's my thoughts on it anyway. It's a great wow, thought. That's deep, that, isn't it? That yeah. is deep. But that's what. You could imagine why a gaffer doing best. that, though, yeah. yeah. He, did, he did call into people's houses quite a lot. Oh, yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, though, yeah he, he did, yeah. I think later on, I think later on when he became, you know, because back in the time, for him, for four or five years, it was a big struggle. So, you know, it was always inevitable that it was going to change because of his determination to change. And we're fortunate mm. to know him or fortunate to play for him. And his desire to win is like nobody else, even in a game of cards or whatever it is, then you always knew that you'd get it right eventually. I've been away on some European trips with some of your ex-teammates and they often fondly talk about the quiz nights. Yeah, quiz nights. I think he cheated in them as well to win them. <laughs> That's what a few yeah. people have yeah, said. Yeah, yeah. I think he. he Dennis was table. quite passionate. Dennis Urban was quite passionate. That there was a bit of cheating going on. Do you on. actually think he cheated? Like, do you really <laughs> think he cheated? We could never call him that, of course. No, that's what I'm wondering. But there was something going on anyway. That he, he certainly influenced John Peters, the physio, the uh, photographer. photographer. Yeah, certainly influenced him yeah, in yeah. terms of the questions that were asked. Yeah, because we used to get all the medical questions, and we didn't have a clue. They'd have the doc, the physio. And obviously the gaffer. Yeah, yeah. It'd be a horse racing. We got all them questions. To be fair, he didn't have much to beat, Maisie, did he? No, not true. <laughs> when he had the dog and the physio and all the people who had yeah. all been quite, you know. When um, you look back at that time, though, the camaraderie that you guys had as a group, you know, a lot of you are still friends now. And this club has something special because people are always connected and see each other. How special was that for you? And did you experience that at any other club? I think everybody knew when you when you play here how difficult it is to handle to start with. And then once you get used to it, of how great it is, and once you've played for it for a long, long time, it never, ever leaves you. Because I don't think, of course, people talk about Real Madrid and Barcelona, and but Man U has got a, and I'll always say this, it's got a, it's, it's for me, it's, it's as big as you're ever going to get. So people who've played for a long time, whether you're in my era, whether you're in the era now, or whether you're in the era in the 70s or the 80s, you still get associated with, with Man U. And that never leaves you. It never, ever leaves you. Um, and I, we, we were very, very fortunate. I have to say, I don't see much of them now, but I still I see Schmeichel or Pally or Brian. Or, it's very rare that you've got, that you make your mates of who you played with. Yeah. Thankfully, I've still got two or three who I don't see a lot of, but I could still pick up the phone and, and see how are you doing and what you're up to. How was that first Premier League title? Well, a bit like what we're going through now. Where, what is it now, 10 years? Be, I think next season will next, be 10 years year, since 10 years. we won it. To think that Man U hadn't won the league for 26 years is quite ridiculous, really, when you think of what happened from the first one. I'm always going to say the first one was always going to be the best because I think the people had waited so long, the supporters had waited so long, we were never going to make it at one stage. So to win it, to win it was, for me, the, for the, the ultimate. I don't think 
I remember the Samat and the atmosphere at the stadium when we were playing Blackburn and let's be fair, half of us were half cut from the day before <laughs> and still managed to win 3-1. I remember ringing Sir Alex then as well saying there's a few players turned up at the house and he said, well, make sure they're home for 10. I said, what, in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> Better not be, phone goes down, you know, so. Yeah, because the celebration party was at your house, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know how that came about either. I really, really don't know because as I said to you, you know, there wasn't mobile phones or anything then you... It, but it got round that they're going to come to my house. I don't know why they're coming to my house, but anyway, they did. And uh, we had a good time, to say the least. And obviously to win the league, I, people must ask you about this, I guess, every day in the street, whenever you move. The headers against Sheffield Wednesday and scoring the goals that win the league that end that multiple, multiple decade-long wait for the league yeah. title. Yeah, yeah. And it was you that did it. Yeah, it was 30 years ago, last on the 10th of April. 30 years ago, quite remarkable. And the number of people who still come up to me and say, I remember who I was when them two headers won us the league. And they didn't win us the league, but everybody assumes that they did. And we still had six or seven games to go, but I think it was the the enormity of it, of course, Fergie time, seven minutes extra, where the seven minutes come from. Referee had to be subbed and to get the two goals. Chris Woods, the goalkeeper was staying with me that night, you know, so I don't know if he had anything to do with it, I don't think so. <laughs> and you know, the second header is arguably the easiest header that anybody could ever, ever have, you know, it was, but the ironic thing was Big Pally had crossed it. I know. So Big Pally crosses it, and I'm like, what's he doing? What's he doing crossing it on the right wing? And I mean, it must have been from a set piece or a corner, but it was the easiest of headers, you're running onto it and you just know that you've just got to let it hit your head and goes in. Arguably one of the, the great highlights. And the, well, the celebrations are iconic, aren't they? Yeah, the celebrations. Sir Alex trying to jump. Sir and Alex and Kiddo and everybody else concerned. It was that moment where when we talk about momentum in football, the momentum had come our way. I mean, we went to play Coventry on the Monday, I think. Dennis Irwin blasted one in from 20 yards, one one nil. Nobody talks about it. Everybody talks about Sheffield Wednesday, which I'm extremely grateful because it gets brought up in every conversation that I ever have about Man U. Do you think it's because the goals were so late? Possibly, yeah. Similar thing the year before, we'd lost on a similar day, hot day, probably pitch at Old Trafford. We lost to Forest in mm -hmm. similar circumstances. Maybe, I think that was, that was something to do with it too. Sometimes it's just a turning point in a season where you I just know the... I was say the momentum, the momentum shift yeah. was, um, was, it come our way. At 1990-1991 season, you scored nearly half of your goals for Manchester United. Over half of your goals in that one season, 19. That is ridiculous that is for a centre-back. Yeah, yeah. And I keep saying it as well, it should have been 20, because the goal in 91 was mine. Yeah. Uh, you know, of all the things I remember of, and we had a great time in Barcelona, uh, in, in beating Barcelona, I remember thinking, I've scored I've scored in the European Cup final against the mighty Barcelona. It was one of them awful headers where I headed it, had come up my shoulder and looped over the goalkeeper. But we always knew set pieces would be a big opportunity for us to beat them. And if you remember, it was a horrible night in Rotterdam. It was drizzly and horrible. I remember getting back to the halfway line and looking up at the scoreboard saying, Barcelona nil, Man United won. Hughes, 63. Hughes, where's that come from? <laughs> they haven't got me mixed up with Sparky, have they? But of course he tapped it over the line. So I say, Helen, 20. it should have been 20. Fred Down paid out on me. I do know that, the bookmaker, um, for, for the first goal. But yeah, I, I ended up taking penalties. Now for all the great players that I played with, how the hell I ended up taking penalties I do not know. Oh, was that Sir Alex Ferguson's decision? Or uh, was that possibly to start staff? with. It was certainly his decision to give them to Eric after yeah. a missed a couple. <laughs> a certain Frenchman come along. And, uh, and he didn't miss very often. And I have to tell you, I was quite relieved. I remember missing in Moscow and missing in, against Sheffield United in the FA Cup. And when you lose, it's great when you win in a penalty because everybody expects you to score a penalty. So I took penalties, but I would always try and get Six, eight goals a season. I'd be disappointed if I, if I wouldn't have got that amount. Centre-backs don't like the pressure of penalties, do they? No. 
Not Centre backs don't take penalties. No. No. This is the pressure is too much. No. Going back to the first Premier League, Brucey, you, you talk about characters in the dressing room. Obviously, Eric came into that year. Was he the, was he the, the I, final? I think Eric was the missing little bit of piece of what we all needed. Yeah. And you know the great thing about the dressing room, Maisie, and I say it many, many times, we accepted Eric and liked him. Mm. And he felt that too, because there was no doubt he was different. You know, absolutely, totally yeah. different. A little bit bonkers in a, in, a, in a great way. But I think he appreciated that the players enjoyed him. Yeah. You know, I've, I've told him many times, we used to go to the Bulls Head on a Tuesday if there was no gamer. If there any, on a Tuesday afternoon where the guy would lock the door and of course, the round would be a half a dozen lagers, a half a dozen bitter in a glass of champagne for Eric. You know, to start with, we'd have to ring him to say, have you got any champagne? And because that's what he drank. And, but we accepted it. And, uh, and, also, and we also realised, I don't think I've seen, certainly not in my time, somebody who walked through the door and thought, this is for me. Yeah. You know, I'm as big as this. And because it, it takes some doing. Mm. And of course, you could back it up because you could play, Maisie. Brilliant. So you can be you can be totally different, can't you? Yeah. But you have to be able to back it up by playing. Mm. And I don't know many big goals he scored, where we win one nil or we yeah. we win and we nick a one or we win at Newcastle to win us that league. Eric yeah. was always the one, and uh, I think he was the absolute as good as I've seen. Beyond just his contribution on the pitch looking at it from someone who's worked in the game at sort of every level, do you think his contribution to Manchester United was felt for maybe decades after he left in the impact he had on, say, the class of 92 and then the impact they had on players like Wayne Rooney and Michael Carrick? Do you yeah. think a lot of that goes back to Eric Cantonan? And do you think he genuinely yeah. had shaped some of what Manchester United is? Or do you think that's yeah, overestimated? When you think about it, he finished when he was 30 as well, which is remarkable, really. I think the one thing about Eric was... You know, if you remember his baggy that you carried around everywhere, it was full of vitamins and pills and full of good stuff. He trained very, very well. There wasn't a, he was an absolute beast of a man, but trained every day as if it was his last. He thought that Saturday would become easy if you trained hard during the week. And there was times in a game where you think, maybe we haven't seen him for a while, but he always, kept that little bit of something which he had, but I'm sure he had an influence still to us all, whether you were players who played with him or you were supporters who watched him or the the aura of Eric is, is what Man News all about and the great players who've played for them. If you had to choose one of your former teammates that would go on to become a movie star, would you have picked him? <laughs> I have to say, I thought the Stella adverts and all the rest of it with the pigs and all the rest. Was it Stella? Uh, it, nothing, nothing would surprise me with him. Yeah. Nothing would surprise me with Eric to what, what he did. What did surprise me was how early he finished. Wow, to finish in the season, just a couple of seasons after I did, really, at the real height yeah. of his career, to just say that's mm. it is like, wow. That shocked me enormously but uh, it didn't surprise me that he was a big movie star because whatever he did I've never seen anybody have a presence in a room like Eric had he was incredible until 1994 when Maisie walked in Aye. until yeah <laughs> before Maisie come along and had a little go for a while put the collar up <laughs> what were your first impressions of Maisie do you remember because I bet I he was quite quiet on. at the time when he first came into the changing room he wasn't quiet he was quiet yeah for a Quieter. long time, and then he came out of his shell a little bit. Uh, we we all knew Maisie because he obviously he played at Blackburn and and uh, came down the road and yeah he adapted he adapted well. It took you a little bit of time, yeah. And I think I think that's what a lot of people find. You know, he takes you. You don't realise, as I said earlier in the interview, you don't realise the enormity until you walk through the door. And probably Maisie played with great good players. But all of a sudden, he's looked around the dressing room and thought, hi, And he hi. sees you. Sorry? He sees you. <laughs> no, I'm not too sure about that. But when you see Robsons and, you know, people like this and Inces and Keens and Kanchelskis and Giggs and yeah. Sharp and, wow, they trip off your tongue, they're that good. Yeah. Double winners. What an education for you, Maisie, when you stepped into the changing room. 
Oh. With the likes of Steve Pally. I, I remember the f first day walking in. Uh, I was. I would think I got to the training ground probably about nine o'clock, and then the lads started filtering in. But Brucey and Pally were the the first two that came over, wished me all the very best, and that's what you needed. That's what I needed. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, I was there to take your yeah. place. Do you know something? It's the first time, really, Maisie, it's where you appreciate that if you're going to be successful, that you're going to have competition for places. Yeah. People are going to walk through the door and you think, it keeps you on your toes. It has to, yeah. And that's what happens. When, certainly with Fergie, you know, the squad evolved all the time. There was a new face, another couple of new faces. Yeah. And I have to say the one thing that people like Kevin Moran, Paul McGrath, Brian Robson with me was as soon as I walked through the door, them two who were played in that position were the first to come over and say, good luck, welcome aboard, anything you need. And that stayed with me and people like Maisie walked through the door. Bruce, that stayed, that stayed with me. It stays with you, yeah. They stayed with me. Uh, you know, I, whenever I speak about the first few months, years, I always say that I could not have done it without your... So like, not blessing, but with your guidance as well. Well, you yeah, listen, you try to help. And, and suppose you be when you're a captain, I think you have to try and help anybody who walks through the door because you know how difficult it's going to be. Yeah. Because nobody, nobody no. gears you up. And, um, and the quicker you can adapt to it and the quicker you can go and enjoy it, um, you're always going to get the benefit from it. Absolutely. Lovely moment, Case. Lovely moment. <laughs> was nice, wasn't it? <laughs> Just want to ask you about atmospheres. Wow. What would you say? I remember asking um, Brian Robson this question not that long ago, and he'd mentioned the Barcelona at home game, one of the best atmospheres he'd played at at Old Trafford. What was it for you? I'll never forget Galatasaray away. The first time was like no other. That was an education, that one. That was a, a wake-up <laughs> call to say, by we're passionate. Wow. That lot were absolutely incredible. They were in the stadium for hours before we came. I have to say, the atmosphere, the first time when we won the Premier League was terrific. After, that must, has to be up there when we, against Blackburn, when we got up there. They would have to be the, the, stand, the standout ones, really. I remember one thing, though, when we played the Cup Winners' Cup in Rotterdam, where everywhere you looked, it was a Man U fan. It was like, wow. It, it is, we're playing Barcelona as well, where you think, where's, where's the fans of Barcelona here? I don't know where they were, but United seemed to be everywhere. That, that occasion was something else on a horrible night. You won the FA Cup three times? Yeah, I didn't play in the third one, because Maisie played. <laughs> Maisie played and, um, yeah, but... Yeah, three times, yeah. Was it a uh, competition you enjoyed or you cared about or you watched oh, when you were a kid? Hey, listen, when we're all growing up, you know, we, we're all growing up, the FA Cup was the thing, wasn't it? It wasn't really winning the league. The final, the FA Cup final, the building, the, the coach going to the... All of that when we, when we were kids anyway, the FA Cup. So um, to, to, to win it three times. and Obviously, I captained the team in, in 94 where we were... Falling up with 15 minutes to play against Chelsea, with thinking I'm going to go up them steps and make sure your mouth was all right and all your <laughs> hands were okay. Great, uh, good times, great times. Really enjoyed. I assume Alex and Amy would have been there then yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Do they Amy, remember Amy, that? Amy, 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 not so much. She was there in '95. Amy, well, we when we lost, and I think that had a little effect on her. Alex never missed anything. Dear me, if there was a big game. Or Alex was there, you know. But uh, yeah, we lost that one in '95, which we should have won the double then as well. We should have mm. won the double that year, you know, but wasn't to be. But we went on to win it again in '96. When you look at your career at United, is it something you're immensely proud of, or do you just take it as what it is? Well, you know, you, I've been in football now for uh, 40 years. Mm. I've been blessed that I've done 20 years of management, 20 years as a player. Ten of them have been with, with Man U. So you can imagine uh, what it means. I, I did 10 probably at Birmingham, and that still has a, a ring for me because I was there such a long time. To play for nearly 10 years at the biggest club in the world is something which I've always enjoyed. And you look back on it and think, 
it was a great part of your life. Just wondering when you said about the, the time you spent in management, do you think you've got the longest unbroken record of working in top flight football? I don't know if, that, if that's a thing. Somebody told me that I'd done 46 years unbroken. Yeah, I mean, that's extraordinary. I could be broken now. <laughs> could be broken now whether I go back or not. But um, how fortunate have I been? I've been in it since I was a kid. Got a break when I was a kid. And um, when in the management, that's a totally different ball game. When in the management, and I've done something 20 odd years in that too. So There's a few management things I want to. Uh, ask you about because they're things from other podcasts we've done that sort of we've now got the opportunity to check if they're true so one is we spoke to Albert and Albert. he told us about at Sunderland where the plumbing collapsed oh my god I'll never forget and that and he told us you were there with a big broom and like shoes off rolled your can you imagine rolled your trousers the sewage pipe <laughs> the sewage pipe burst in my new dressing room <laughs> wow it was all over the strips it was all it was it was this it was he flooded in it and uh, and I'm thinking Fergie must what was Fergie in it and, uh, but yeah so I tried to help clean it out but they then got changed in the little gym around the corner they had to scrap all the track suits and I think they burned them all it was like a health hazard Lombo can you imagine 50,000 there the big sewage pipe bursts above the but I love that you were in there trying yeah. to help clean well, it up. I was trying That's to clean because Sir gets all of me here now, by the way. You think it's a conspiracy or something? <laughs> if, do you think if it hadn't been United and Sir Alex, do you think you'd have just carried on in the home change room and been like, well, they've got no, something to do with it? Oh, no, you couldn't. Yeah, no, yeah. Whether, no. whether it was manual, it was in a mess, let me tell you. It wasn't just a, a leak. It wasn't just a water leak. It was uh. a proper pipe had come down and it was... Like this in the dressing room. For those listening, that's about two feet deep, you're saying. <laughs> two feet deep, yeah, yeah. for those listening. Nice. Um, eight. The other one is we spoke to Fraser Campbell. All right. Who told us he was sat with you when you were at Wigan and he was ready to sign the contract. And just before he picks up the pen to sign to, to join you on loan from United, Sir Alex rings him and says, I'm going to give you two minutes, but if you go to Spurs, we can get Berbatov. And then hung up and left him in the room with you. Yeah. What was that like from your end? In management, you, you deal with all sorts, but things where you think you've got over the line, did all the work and did all the hard work, I thought we'd got him. And then, of course, Sir Alex rings and he becomes part of Berbatov to get Berbatov late in the day. And uh, you have to accept it. I was hugely disappointed. I remember taking Fraser a little bit late. I don't know, it was afterwards, so I took him to Sunderland and did, he did very, very well for me. Yeah, remember it. Did you speak to the gaffer about that? Did you actually ring him up and say... Oh, he didn't know. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> I was just glad to get him through the door. So you do me a favour and then all of a sudden he become embroiled in the, the Berbatov deal, yeah. which came out of the blue from nothing. Um, so when, you have, when, you, when you're beg stealing and borrowing, which I've done yeah. a, a while in managing, then you have to accept that these things happen. And then is that a case of you just accept it happens or from your perspective, knowing what it's like as a player to be on the end of a call like that from Sir Alex, do you just go, yeah, fair enough, this is, this is what happens yeah, yeah. now? You don't really want to accept it, but it happens, unfortunately. Sam's touched on management there. When you first went into management, did you anticipate, well, I suppose it's probably a stupid question. You probably don't anticipate your career to be that long in management. But Sam's talking about records there. It's just absolutely incredible. Was it just a case for you step by step or did you have a goal to get to a certain club to manage? What was it for you? Helen, if I'm being honest, when I was coming to the end of my career at Manchester, I was geared up to maybe go and do soccer schools with kids. Kids was the one thing that maybe I enjoyed and I'd gone and done soccer schools from way back in Norwich. I did them. And I had a big sponsorship and Honda were going to sponsorship. And I was going to take a travelling soccer school, really, round to all the inner cities where kids couldn't really afford it, was going to take a bit of coaching and going and doing that route. And I had a sponsorship deal on the table and all sorts and thought, this is going to be me when I finish, you know, this is where I'm going to... Anyway, I got a phone call. got a phone call from Sheffield United out the blue and said, would I be interested in player manager and before I knew it I'm saying the contract thinking player manager now 
that is the most difficult of the lot because <laughs> when you are the manager and the player, then for me, you have to be the best player. And when you're 36, 37, unfortunately, you're not the best player. So I very, very quickly became manager. But, and that was way back in 90, 98, maybe, something like that, 98, 99. Yeah, 98, 99, 10 appearances. Yeah, 10 appearances, there you go. 10 appearances, so I was done as player manager. I'd just become manager for that for that season. But found it really, really tough to start with. Really difficult in terms of that. I had four clubs and I, I really found it difficult that people would tell me one thing and not, not go along mm. with it. I'm young and hot-headed. Well, shove it then if that's the way you think and in management. <laughs> There's lots of there's lots of things where you have to deal with, but I found it really difficult when I was young, and uh, and I needed Birmingham, I needed that stability where I played for a couple of years, and ended up managing for nearly seven. When it came to picking clubs, what was what were your decision making processes? I'm wondering because obviously Newcastle and Sunderland, but also Birmingham, Villa, West Brom, not clubs that historically love each other. Well, this is why I'm in Manchester, the only city that'll have me. Um, um, it happened like that. It happened like that. Um, how it happened, I really don't know. I remember having big Nile Quinn when I went to Sunland, for example. Dave Whelan had said to me at the end of the season, Steve, I've had Nile Quinn on the phone, the, you know, go back home and see what you can do with them because, you know, it's a wonderful offer and he was encouraging me to go. How good a chairman is that? You know, Dave Whelan was a huge one. Um, back in the day, we had to take a job really in the championship. It was very rare that you were going to get your first job as Premier League. And the English managers back in the day, to get in the Premier League, you probably had to take a team in there to do it. And um, it was very rare that, you know, there were back you know, 20, 20 years ago, the foreign, the foreign manager was huge, especially in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. So it was usually a championship. Um, and you go from there. As for the cities, 20 years later, I would manage Sheffield Wednesday after starting at Sheffield United, but it happened. Um, the Newcastle thing came along and how could I turn it down? You know, going back home for the first time in 40 years or whatever it was, had, had to have a go at it. You talk about lows, you mentioned that earlier, and we find that with people that we speak to, they very often remember the lows rather than the highs. But in terms of promotions, those are pretty big highs. And you've had quite a great, few. Great, great. Uh, yeah, I've, I've took, yeah, I've had four of those and nearly five to the Premier League. That was a big one where we lost to Fulham with, I was with Aston Villa and we lost to Fulham in the playoff final. But yeah, getting promoted with, Hull twice and with Birmingham. Alex by your side as yeah, well. Yeah, Incredible. Be, Alex being part of it. That was that sort of big, was a fluke because Alex was all geared up to go and play in America, and he was coming doing preseason. He was doing preseason with Hull, and it was all geared up that he was going to do a career shift and maybe go out to America. That was just taken off then. And uh, Peter Chapman, the lad who helped me run, we were watching in preseason. Said, "Is that your Alex?" I says, "Yeah, yeah." He says, "What's he up to?" I says, oh, no. he says, well, we're looking for a centre-back. And what I've seen over the last week, he's as good as anything we've got. And he ended up signing and stayed with me for the best part of four or five years. So it was part of it, which was pretty special, I have to say. You've not got rid of him since? I can't, unfortunately. <laughs> no. I, don't know how, I don't know how he's not here sitting here <laughs> next to me. But <laughs> he must have something better on today. But, you know, as a family, I know you as a family and you're all really, really close. How important yeah. has that been for you and all the moves oh, across huge, the years yeah. and yeah, yeah. cities? Huge. It's difficult when you're moving around and you've got two young ones and then they grow up. And as I said, the reason why we've come back here is that they've made a life in Manchester. They've had their children here both of them, Amy and our Alex. So that's why we ended up coming back four or five years ago and said, whatever happens, this is gonna be the family home. And if I have to find a flat or two along the way, then that's what it's gonna be because they've followed me up and down the country, house after house, city after city, especially in management, because 
I keep getting the bloody sack after a, <laughs> after a little while, and it's uh, which but is staunch supporters of you because management can be a lonely place, can't it? Oh, difficult, very, very difficult. And you're right, a uh, lonely, lonely place too. It can be. It's um, it's the hardest job of all. However, I still enjoy football. I love a game of football, and that's why we still do it. And probably, if I got a phone call tomorrow, I would think, mm, why not? Because I enjoy football that much. Without it, there's a there's a bit of a void. Because would you say forty six years or whatever it is, it's been a long time. But two years ago this month, you were Premier League Manager of the Month. Just shows you how quickly it changes. Yeah. What are your memories of being at Newcastle? Because I imagine that was a dream come true to get to go there. Because we know you were a well. A boyhood I always Newcastle knew fan. that it was going to be difficult, but I was determined to take the chance after the opportunity. Hmm. I know all along it was going to be difficult, and it certainly was. And when I see where the club is now, and the quality of players they're playing, and the, where they've done remarkably well is they've put people in place to run the club and bought well. And um, it's gone from strength to strength in the last 12 months, you know, um, which I'm pleased. I am genuinely am pleased um, because the city needs that as a club, it probably needs that, but uh, it was a difficult time, that's for sure. I was just going to say, two years ago, Premier League Manager of the Month, and today, mm. sitting here with us, and you've done your hamstring playing paddle. paddle <laughs> that yes, just shows <laughs> how things change so quickly. And that's an exclusive, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an exclusive. <laughs> Do you know what Jan said to me when I was going out the door? You be careful, right? You be careful. <laughs> so, of course, when I walk in, I can already walk. <laughs> could already walk with a hamstring. I only bent over and all the bases. I didn't do now. I couldn't move that quick. Just age, Helen. Bruce, you talk about your management. How much of an influence is a manager on your career as a manager? If you've ever come across him, everybody would love to copy him. Yeah. What's he got? What makes him that Is there special? anything you took along The only thing your... I, will say, I will say is, in management, you cannot copy anybody. You've no. got to have your own style. Eh? The one thing you could never judge on anything was the hard work and the application in yeah. 10 years his car was always first in the car yeah. park yeah? that stays with me with for forever and a day mm -hmm. was wow he he worked and and was his appetite for it was huge and the determination to win is second yeah. to none I think you have to be yourself in management would all love to be him sure. and you can't and if you can't rule with the iron fist, and let's be brutally honest about it, he had a way about him mm -hmm. where he was brutally honest and fantastic with it. It would be interesting to see him now. It would be interesting yeah. to see him now, wouldn't it? In today's world, I still think he would be, of course, the greatest of all time. But yeah. it would be interesting to see him in today's climate. Mm. Steve, thank you so much. We've tried to get you on our podcast so many times, but you keep taking new jobs. <laughs> I haven't been so taking new jobs you every time I've said, oh, I'm going to maybe be away or whatever. Well, I will see about a new job. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you Thank on you for the podcast. Thank, Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. much. Brilliant. Thank you. One of my favourite stories ever in, for in the moment and just laughing and enjoying it. His story about his debut for Norwich. That was hilarious. Not as good as the phone box story. Phone box. I have known Steve for quite a while and so have you, maybe. Incredible. I would never have him down as a criminal. <laughs> when Alex told me that story, he told me that the reason the police turned up wasn't because of the call charging, it's because they thought he was the Yorkshire Ripper. That's extraordinary. But what an incredible career, starting with the debut, as you talk yeah. about, Sam. No. Yeah, yeah, the, the debut, debut at Norwich. But yeah. to, the two own goals, and then to knock out one of your teammates in a celebration. It's amazing. What a career. Yeah. Incredible what a career. career. And, Joey, uh, hey, and, and the other thing is, there's only him and Peter Beasley who left the club without actually having a club. And then probably to be the most two decorated players for a long, long time since, you know, since Carrick. I mean, you talk about players giving up. Well, that just epitomises never, ever to give up as a kid. Somebody will always take a chance. And obviously, Brucey got the chance. Over 200 games at Gillingham and then the transfer to Norwich and then a the main one to Man United. I suppose, you know what's funny? There's not wildly dissimilar 
to what Gary Pallister told us. Because mm-hmm. uh, was it at 15, he was his school's second choice goalkeeper? And that was... Oh my word, yeah. It feels like so long because, ago we did that uh, yeah. podcast, but yeah. But you think the two of them were not were clearly not obvious stars of the future when they were when they were kids, but how it turned out is And neither of them playing centre-back? Yeah. Pally couldn't even get into the basketball team. That's right. He was six foot yeah. four. <laughs> how bad must he have been? It have been in like Bambi on ice. <laughs> But, anyway, but what a partnership they went on to have. And Maisie, that was a really nice moment when you talked about, you know, what Steve had done for you in the game. I was, I was going to mention another thing as well, as, as you mentioned about, Sam touched on it about playing in three FA Cups or winning three. The third one against Liverpool, I always remember, and I remember it as clear as day, he came up to me after the, the Middlesbrough game or before the Middlesbrough game, wished me all the very best because that was to win the league and then the FA Cup came over specifically put his arm around me said you deserve today you've been outstanding you've been brilliant good luck and I thought wow wow I've just took his place and yeah I can't say there's many people that would do that exactly that's amazing yeah because you get so many people obviously with it being an FA Cup final as well everybody wants to play in a Cup final but for him to to say that meant the world to me Mm -hmm. absolutely and that just goes to show what a gentleman he is. It sums him up. Yeah. Incredible podcast. Really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. Well done, troops. Loved it. Great job, everyone. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to unitedpodcast at myunited.co.uk. Um, you can listen to this, obviously, on the United app, or you can listen on the other podcast apps. Leave us a review, subscribe, do all that stuff. We appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye.